0: fellow chai drinkers and welcome to another episode of What's the Chai podcast with your host Summer Haroon. The last time I left you guys off was we did an entire episode on attachment styles and that really blew up and I appreciate all the awesome feedback that you guys gave me and that resulted in me making a part 2. So last time when we left off we talked about all the different types of attachment styles that there were in the South Asian community especially um anxious avoidant. And on this um, episode what I'm I've decided to do is a lot of the feedback that I got was regarding okay so now that I know which attachment style I am what am I supposed to do with this information and How do I gear myself more towards a secure attachment style or are there any interventions for me to be able to recognize if I have maladaptive coping skills and behaviors present in my relationship? So I thought that those were awesome and really excellent questions. And I thought that that would take another episode to clarify. And as always, I like to put this disclaimer in, in the beginning of the episodes that this is an educational entertainment based podcast, um, even though I am a psychotherapist, I'm an associate at this point, um, take this with a grain of salt and take this more towards the educational route rather than, you know, something concrete. Like I've always said, you should definitely consider therapy and uh, consulting with your own therapist because every person's situation is unique. And when people come to me for consultations, um, a very common question I get is that, you know, oh, like, what does this look like? And what what is therapy The more we get into even talking about attachment style, you'll notice that I'll start reiterating that, you know, every person's attachment style comes from somewhere. And if it's deeply rooted in trauma, you really need to be aware of that, that it won't be solved in like a couple of skill sets given to you. You know, if it's deeply rooted in trauma responses and like survival instincts and a really solid defense mechanism, you need to understand that there's a reason why it's there. And me saying, hey, pay attention to the next time you're trying to stonewall is not going to be enough for you to develop that security and then be able to implement it in your day to day life because a lot of other resolutions need to take place. But not to say that it's not possible. You know, everybody in their journey is at a different place and everybody can take information and use it in a way that is helpful. So another thing that, um, uh, was brought to my attention about the last episode was that, in, um, when I gave the example about the guy who, um, texted the girl after like a week or a couple of days of silence, especially cause it wasn't their normal interaction. A lot of people were confused about what the avoidant, um, attachment style would respond to, like what their initial response would be. And I just wanted to kind of reiterate that, um, remember avoidant attachment styles normally flee from any kind of intimacy and when things start to get serious they start to lose interest so in that situation when a guy would come back they wouldn't necessarily respond with stonewalling that would be when they would completely ghost and they would be like oh okay well this person now is back and showing interest with me well I no longer feel interested so that's avoidant but remember um, anxious avoidant was, you know, this person is really feeling distressed during that time of silence. And as soon as this person decided to text them back, they resorted towards, you know, stonewalling. So actions that are showing their disdain and almost like a form of punishment or a consequence, you know, it's not like, oh, I've lost complete interest. I really don't care about this person. It's like, oh, now they respond to me. Let me have this sort of maladaptive response rather than communicating how they feel. So summarizing that a little bit more from the last podcast episode. With that said, um, I'm going to review one more time just a little bit about the four attachment styles just so we're on the same page. Not to get too redundant, but uh, from the last episode, we talked about, you know, secure, anxious style, anxious uh, attachments. Oh, sorry, not secure, anxious style, uh, secure attachment style, anxious attachment style, avoidant attachment uh, attachment style, and fearful avoidant attachment style. And what we're trying to look at now is, you know, how as adults are we able to gear ourselves more towards being secure? And if you are a secure um, person and you have a um, whether it's a parent, a sibling, a friend, or you're in a romantic relationship, again, it's not your responsibility to help people have more of a secure attachment style. But if you want to be able to, you know, encourage it or provide resource or strengthen a more secure attachment relationship with this person, these will be applicable to you too. You know, we really need to understand where it's coming from. And how do attachment styles, like, help you cope, right? It's a very big protective mechanism. Like, I want to spend, like, a minute talking about that because it's important to understand, like, if you, you know, are really afraid of rejection, um, then you might have that dismissive avoidant style because... It protects your heart. And same thing with anxious people. Like if you've been abandoned so many times and that's taken a toll on you, you latch on to any sort of person who gives you any comfort in a relationship. And it's important to know that these defense mechanisms are there and they're being reinforced. Because it's really interesting when you look at research or if you were ever to, you know, see case studies or even like take examples in your friend, you'll notice, you know, that one friend who goes after the same type of person. And it's like, Hey, why are you dating around with a guy who just doesn't give you the time of their, why are you with a girl who is just so, you know, clingy all the time. And these are very stereotypical examples that I'm giving and they don't hold any merit in terms of, um, specific gender roles, whatever. Um, just to put that in as well. But, um, you know, we have a certain pattern and we have certain people that we gravitate to, uh, towards. And you need to also realize that anxious people tend to also gravitate towards avoidant people because it starts um, that repetitive cycle. So you guys are just constantly in this repetition of, you know, anxious avoidance, anxious avoidance, and the cycle feeds itself and you're on a loop and it's hard to get out of it. Um, and because most anxious people, their baseline is anxious, they don't really know anything else. And I think I've touched on that briefly before. So when you're anxious all the time, and that's kind of your baseline and where you're functioning from, anything that's not anxiety is going to leave you feeling more unstable. And you would think that's counterintuitive, but you have to understand, you know, if someone's never had stability and doesn't know what it feels like, it can feel really scary and can feel like a completely new feeling that they can't trust. And also that fleeting feeling like, oh, this is too good to be true. And that's where self-sabotage really starts to kick in is when we take that kind of opportunity to really mess ourselves up because we don't know how to respond to health or we don't know how to respond to, you know, someone actually showing equal interest in us. And that's like where a few like, a few cues that we have get misinterpreted, right? Where, I don't know if you guys ever watched that movie Aquamarine, like this was like back in the early 2000s, but there was a scene in that movie oh my god this is just so telling of my age um where there were a bunch of magazines that they went through and it was like oh hey like if you're if you're too available a guy is gonna be like this and if you're too coy they're gonna be like this and you can't like you know see them this day because it's gonna mean you're too interested and if you you can't see them that far out because then it's gonna leave them feeling invalidated there were like all these imaginary rules that have been kind of perpetuated in our society as well and they stick with us kind of like when you're a kid you internalize a lot of things um from your parents you internalize a lot of things in your community as well and it's really important to understand where these things come from so if you're an anxious person and for some reason you are in this awesome relationship or you're dating someone or this friendship where there's mutual interest this person is inquisitive about you you know they give you the time of day at one point that can feel a little bit unsettling and you can come up with interesting scenarios in your mind or kind of um a response that's based on like what's wrong with this person you know like why are they so interested in me or you know what's wrong with this person for being so you know dismissive of me either if you're like an avoidant person so if you find your own match in some instances like It can make, it can drive your own attachment style even forward. That might be a little bit confusing what I just said, but hopefully it made sense. Um, That a lot of the rules we make up in our minds are just simply there in our minds and they don't have any bases in society. They only have a base in society as a form of control. And I think ultimately we need to pick up on the green flags rather than painting the red flags green. You know what I mean? And going back to, you know, that baseline of anxiety that most anxious people feel is, you know, people can confuse that for like butterflies. Um, You know, it's for the really high highs in the relationship and the romanticism and, you know, the craving. It's like, oh my God, the passion is so alive in there. And a lot of people don't realize those are just like anxiety responses. And then you link those anxiety responses to intimacy, and then when things get more stable and they're just more comfortable and it's not so such a roller coaster, you can also interpret that as boredom in the relationship when it's just, you know, smooth sailings. Um, and it would be super beneficial to remember that you can't be in a relationship on a roller coaster, whatever it is. Um, you can constantly be in a state of anxiousness and ebbing and flowing because your body doesn't get a chance to relax and stay in a sense of calm and you might be able to you know connect that with people who have more like uh, not attraction to dramaticism but kind of like that people who like seek out drama because life gets boring things get settled down things are chill and smooth but not every anxious person does that? But I'm kind of generalizing it. If you can see like certain traits and certain things that might be applicable uh, applicable to you, and the same thing with avoidant. Like if you do look at some of the research with um avoidant styles, like you'll find it across the board. It's mainly present with like men, for some reason where you know you get really close to them and then they completely detach and it seems kind of like out of the blue. And it's been like presented in a lot of studies, and I'll link them in the description of this episode. Um. But I want to go back into, you know, the fearful, um, not fearful, sorry, the anxious avoidant um, attachment style. So another word for that is fearful avoidant style. And I said that was more prevalent in the South Asian community. So these are some very generic ways to go about um, understanding how to get to a secure place, you know. So in... Anxious avoidant attachment style. It's not that people don't want intimacy or they don't want closeness. It's just that there's a lag in between what it means to preserve that relationship. So in those moments, if you're someone who knows someone, if you if you're in a relationship with someone who has an um, anxious avoidant attachment style, and you're starting to like recognize some of these traits, it's really important to have that dialogue, and. This can be a double-edged sword because what it can do is, if you remember from the last podcast uh, episode when I talked about stonewalling, this could perpetuate the cycle a little bit because it's like chasing after them to have open and honest dialogue. But this is also where a boundary can be placed. So I'll go back to that example. I remember I used it as an example with a mom and a kid. Um, I'm going to reframe the example to be able to understand how to go about this a little bit more. So, for example, you're in a relationship with someone and um, you've been dating maybe a year uh, and you're, you're noticing your partner has more um, of uh, anxious, avoiding styles and you both got into a fight and you're kind of on the confused end where you can understand the triggers and you know that, okay, now this person is not going to speak to me because they're upset, but they're also not going to articulate exactly why they're upset. So that's stonewalling, right? Where it's like, you come to me, figure out what's wrong, and you apologize for the fact that I'm upset. And then I'll tell you what's wrong. Um, And that's from the person who's um, anxious avoidant. In this moment, what would be so important um, is to have that dialogue. You can go in and rather than go into the apology part, you can be like, hey, I noticed you're upset. And I noticed that normally, you don't communicate directly why you're upset. I'm going to give you time to come to me and let me know and then we can resume this conversation i'm going to give you some space that's your boundary after that it is important to not pester it because that's kind of what again perpetuates that cycle of like tell me what's wrong no please you know don't be mad we'll fix it we're trying to avoid this cycle from happening and we're trying to put a little bit more accountability on the anxious avoidant uh, partner to be able to come communicate and articulate and mind you you've done your responsibility by opening that door right you're like hey I want to have this discussion. I know we had an argument or a disagreement or we don't see eye to eye. And I just want to make sure that you know that when you're ready, I'm here for you. And I want to have this conversation and I want to understand you. But you are letting them take accountability for their part, which is that they're not communicating exactly why they're upset. And it is not your responsibility to extract that information. It's your responsibility in that partnership to just leave that space for that conversation, you know? And in those moments, you know, if that conversation has happened, being reassuring is helpful, you know, to a degree. And um, avoid flooding. So I guess right now, going a little back, I'm coming from a position where one partner is secure and the other partner is anxious avoidant. So if you're a secure partner and you have an anxious avoidant partner, what to do in case that wasn't clear? So when I say be reassuring, If you're an anxious, avoiding person and you really struggle with communication and you don't know how to get that reassurance, you need to learn how to ask. And it can be in small asks, right? At this point, I really want to make it um, clear that these conversations should not be happening when you're already in a bad, not a bad, but in an escalated emotional state. You know what I mean? So if you're already at that space where you're, you're activated, you're upset, you're angry, no one is receptive to any sort of feedback in that moment. And you have to realize this, you know, how many times have our parents like screamed and yelled at us and it didn't really hit any sort of repairment or an enactment of a good behavior. It's almost like you're just fuming and festering for a while and nothing really sticks. Nobody takes in any feedback when they're escalated. So this would be, a great place, like, you know, you're out to dinner, or you're, you know, on a couch chilling and watching a movie, and you're with your partner, your friend, whoever, and you're like, hey, um, you know, I I've realized I'm having some of these emotions, and you've probably noticed that in our conversations. Um, I really, really appreciate if I can get some reassurance from time to time. And your partner would be like, what do you mean? And be like, you know, I understand we have a lot of history backing up, you know, our relationship, or our friendships but at time the way I interpret things can make me feel a little bit more insecure and it will help my security if you can just you know reinforce me by letting me know that I'm loved that I'm valued in the, this relationship this comforting and supporting act really helps because sometimes I don't know and if it's not vocalized to me, it's hard for me to understand. And we'll do an entire separate uh, episode on love languages and how to be able to incorporate that in your relationships to be able to reinforce um, and reassure your partner of the love. Because that is tricky, right? Like, some people are like, you know, actions speak louder than words. And I don't want to get too caught up in this. But then it's like, oh, I'm, but I tell you that I love you. And I tell you that you're a great uh, friend. And then you know, a person who's in that um, not secure attachment style can be like, yeah, but, you know, if you really loved me, you'd buy me a gift. If you really loved me, you'd spend more time with me. If you really loved me, you, you know, you'd help out more around the house. And that's a whole other ball game of like communication differences or love language differences that don't really hit the mark and being able to go in and really understand what that means. Um, a lot of times you'll also notice is that you're certain attachment styles aren't secure because they're insecure. So what does that mean, right? That means a lot of work needs to be put in self-esteem and self-esteem that can ground you. And it's important to realize at that point your self-worth and your effort in the relationship and in yourself. So there is one part that I disagree with, um, Uh, in this in the psychological community it's not that widespread but um if you know a lot of you know self-love gurus and things out there it's like you can't love someone else if you don't love yourself and I'm kind of like "Eh, I don't agree with that because these are journeys that we go through and self-love self-acceptance ebbs they ebb and flow because as human beings That's the our entire trajectory in life. We're constantly changing and we're constantly finding ways of accepting ourselves and we're constantly going to have like, you know, areas of securities and insecurities and then we're gonna learn how to be secure. So I think self-acceptance to a degree is awesome, but self-acceptance with a level of self-awareness as well. You know, you can accept the good and the bad, but you can also accept the places that there needs to be changed. And I always like to integrate this that, you know that, that saying, you know, all you have is you in life. And I agree, like, you know, you come into this world technically alone, you're going to leave alone technically, but we're social creatures and we thrive for relationships. And those are how how our societies are formed. So wanting support isn't bad. You know, codependency is now labeled as a really bad term. And I think in another episode, I'm going to kind of, you know, explain a little bit more regarding that. I'm tangenting off, I do realize this, but um, understand that You can work on yourself in any phases of life and even in a relationship. You don't have to figure out everything because life is constantly evolving. So when someone says, you know, you really need to strive towards self-love or you won't be able to love someone else. I think when you're in that journey and you have someone who has the space for you to grow, that's also acceptable and okay and I want whoever's hearing this who thinks that, you know, I have low self-esteem. Nobody's ever going to love me or care about me. You know, work on yourself for sure. But that does not necessarily mean that you cannot be part of any relationships. I mean, there are a bunch of different type of relationships. There are a ton of toxic relationships as well. There are a bunch of people, whether it's clients, whether it's people in the community, friends, relationship, co-workers who have all sorts of relationships. And you can be like, that person is so insecure, but they're in a good relationship and they're happy. Things happen. And we really want to avoid limiting ourselves based off of one or another saying, um, that, you know, you just need to have complete self-acceptance and self-love and your, uh, self-esteem needs to be like exactly where your partner's is in order for you to like thrive. And I just don't agree with that. And I think the constant work is super important in identifying where those low self-esteem points come from, whether it's looks, whether it's achievement, uh, based, whether it's, um, socioeconomic status, highlighting that understanding where it's coming from and doing maybe affirmation work. So this is like a pretty direct uh, intervention. And I love doing this with my clients. Um, I have them make a list of affirmations. And again, this is (laughs) another thing where I'm going to call BS on where I don't think it's helpful at all when someone's like, I am strong. I am beautiful. I am this and I am that. Because in all honesty, those affirmations are hollow most of the time we need some evidence to back these things up you know so if um i have my clients do this on like their notes on their phone so if they're like i am beautiful strong and sexy they post their like they don't post it on social media but they have like you know um, I don't know if it's an app or like they do it on the notes where they'll have their most confident picture of themselves and that statement in there. So it's like, this was a moment I felt beautiful, confident. And when I look at the self, I feel, uh, look at that picture, I feel empowered. So they have the statement, they have an image to back it up. Next affirmation. I am a successful businesswoman because, you know, I was able to get this grant and then, you know, there's evidence of like, they don't have the evidence of like the actual note, but, There's an incident that's an attachment to the affirmative statement that backs up what they're saying, you know, and that's what affirmation work really does is you're affirming yourself, but you're also affirming yourself with a little bit more evidence. I care about myself and I love myself and I woke up this morning with my skin uh, and did my skincare routine for someone who has a lot of depression like that can be really empowering, knowing that they love themselves and they care about themselves so much that they woke up in the morning and they were able to really put effort into their skin and they felt good and it set them up for some positivity. So normally with my clients when they start with me, I, I have them do like a list of a hundred throughout our entire like uh, therapy journey and it continues on because my clients are also long term. So this can be a great place for you to build your self esteem. Like this is one. One pretty standard, I would say, intervention that you can incorporate and, you know, this can just help you also, you know, refer back to it. Um, when I worked with really low self-esteem clients and who have like um, either anxious avoid, uh, anxious and anxious uh, styles of attachment. Um, I have them always review this in the morning um, and add to it at night. So like when they go to sleep from that day, um, adding one thing to the affirmation list uh, one thing good that happened or something to add in terms of an achievement. And then in the morning when they wake up, I have them review it. Like first thing, like go through your affirmations and like, see, like read it out, read out everything that you've done. So you already have this like self of a, a sense of accomplishment of things that you've already done in your life or in your previous day, setting you up for, Hey, you know what? I was able to do these things. And it gives you a little bit of a confidence boost. So valuing yourself, building on your self-esteem, that one, um, Another part is um, defining boundaries. Ooh, and this is a really tricky one, especially in the South Asian community, because one thing I've noticed is that no one understands boundaries in terms of the older generation, and they don't know how to set boundaries either. You know, it's very black and white thinking, which can be super problematic, And if you're in the South Asian community and you're just like, you know, nobody really understands boundaries and doesn't respect boundaries. And how am I able to, like, put these things up in order to help myself? That's super challenging. And I will say Rome wasn't built in a day. And this can work both ways. So as a secure person, you can put these boundaries in order to, you know, help your partner feel emotionally safe in situations and the ba- for anxious attachment styles, this will provide a lot more structure, which will really help them out. Um, I've noticed with most um, anxious people, the structure allows for a lot more stability because there's predictability in it. Most people who are anxious in general, the lack of the unknown and the fear is, is what's kind of driving most of their cognition and the way they think and behave. So when, you know, there's kind of like a set expectation at times. As part of the boundary, which is not like a thing that's not attainable. So it's not like, hey, I'm going to, you know, text you every time I'm like going every single place. And, you know, I'm going to tell you I love you 50 times a day. I mean, if it works for you, it works for you. And that's fine. Again, there's no cookie cutter way of what a relationship looks like. As long as two people are happy, they're not toxic. Um, they're not destroying each other or the people around them and not causing harm. I think it's fine. Relationships can come in all sorts of flavors. Um, in that moment, it can really help the relationship. So let me give you a few examples of defining boundaries. So if you have an anxious avoidant person, what you can do is you can help your partner um, know what your fear and your triggers are. So what makes you feel the fearfulness um, and are those related to the triggers that release the anxiety and how can both partners work at avoiding them? A good example for this could mainly look like, you know, if a partner is going on a trip. And this can work either or way, right? Where one partner who's anxious avoidant is going towards, you know, they're traveling internationally, there's a time difference and, you know, they're really used to your company or communicating with you a certain time, but also there might be a time difference. So you and your partner making, you know, a check-in schedule that, hey, at 1 p.m. I'll like text you or I'll text you when I wake up and I'll text you when I go to sleep. Like if these things are doable, that can also like, you know, help your partner adjust to be able to travel internationally and also remain in communication rather than, you know, having like extreme bouts of silence and feeling like, oh, I don't have communication with my partner. Does this mean, you know, that I've left and now, you know, they just want to live their life and they're happier and they were just waiting for me to leave. Do you see like with anxious people are just spirals and we're trying to avoid the spiral spiralingness, and then we're trying to avoid the We're trying to avoid the avoidance mechanism, defense mechanism that follows. So for example, if you're on that trip and you missed one of your check-ins for the day, like morning and night, and then your partner who's anxious avoidant is going to avoid you then they're like, oh, you missed your check-in with me. I'm going to avoid you for the rest of the day because you told me that you would do this. And like I said, when you build self-esteem and when you have more benefit of the doubt in the relationship You can navigate these things better because you're moving towards a secure attachment style. So those little missed calls or those missteps in the relationship will be more manageable, but being able to identify the triggers is important and be able to work around them is important in a doable way that doesn't put more strain on the relationship, but relieves some of the anxiety and the avoidant behaviors. Hopefully that made sense. So this is a really interesting one, which is um, understand your instincts is a really interesting one. And Healthline uh, did a really cool article uh, on this section. I'm going to read that out to you where you and your family, uh, you and your family member, friend or partner are quite different. You react in different ways to one another. It takes a great deal of self-awareness to recognize your tendency and, uh, tendencies and actively work to correct them. If you tend to shut down when emotional conversations begin, a partner can actively push you to be open. If your partner becomes emotionally charged, you can employ ways to promote calmness. You can hold one another accountable and you can become better communicators. And yeah, so it's... It's understanding, again, it goes back to, like, understanding the triggers and, like, promoting the openness to communication. And it's just important to be able to know yourself in that moment. And I think, like I said, therapy can really be helpful because if we go back to the boundary situation um, and you don't even know what your triggers are, then you're kind of really in a tricky situation. Um, It can be really hard to manage because then you constantly feel like you're moving the ladder where it's like, oh, I think this is my trigger. And it happens to be something completely else. Therapy can help you have that insight into what your triggers are, what your boundaries are, which situations um, you react more, you know, emotionally charged in, which is not appropriate. Being emotional is okay. Um, being emotionally charged and activated to a point where it's not appropriate in certain settings, that's probably not okay. And I think it's important to remember that. So... Another like general kind of listing out of things, how we can strive towards a secure attachment style, just to like put it all on a list is like, you know, positive self-esteem and self-image have close and well-adjusted relationships. So when you have relationships, they're good relationships that have health rather than promoting toxicity. Um, You have a a sense of security in yourself and in the world. You have the ability to be independent as well as in a relationship. And I think this is really important with um, anxious avoidant uh, people in general is like being able to have your own identity that's outside of the relationship and outside of other people. I think that is very empowering where you can be your own person. And I say this to clients and especially couples that come and work with me all the time. I was like, you guys are not two halves of a whole. Please understand this. I feel like this puts an 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 unjust amount of pressure for a person to be responsible for their partner's happiness and to complete them in some way and i say it that you guys are two partners you are two whole individuals coming together to add something to each other's lives in an awesome beautiful quirky weird way and when you look at it through that lens it really does help the relationship be more of a partnership rather than one person fulfilling you know another's unfulfilled needs, but they can help and they can support. And that's important. And maybe I'll do another episode on that. So, uh, another thing on that list is being, um, optimistic, uh, have an optimistic look on life and yourself. This is more along the lines of like, if you're constantly in a negative hole and constantly functioning out of fear, what that also does to your body is horrible. Like your adrenal glands are going to be working on like, over time and the cortisol in your like body is going to be insane because you have to understand like anxiety and fear responses that's just you know that's a flight or flight survival response and if it's constantly activated it's hard for you to be in the here and now and present and being able to be secure and feel safe and enjoy what's going on for you. And that can put a strain on your relationship where, you know, your partner might interpret it as that, oh, she's always worried. Oh, she's always this, or he's always, you know, constantly on edge. And it's like, we can't have a single moment of relaxation. So having a balance between that, that doesn't mean like having constant positivity, because that's also not realistic. Like I've always said, you know, life ebbs and flows. And appropriate responses at appropriate times, Um, having strong, uh, strong coping skills and strategies for relationships in life. So another thing with this is that there are a ton of self-help books out there with a ton of resources in terms of what coping skills look look like. And you just need to find the ones that fit with you. And I think therapy is very unique in that um, regard where, you know, it's catered to you. We figure out what works for you, but when you, th- when there are so when there are so many options in terms of coping skills, it can be very overwhelming. But it's all about what fits for you. You don't have to fit the coping skill. If a person says, you know, go go for a walk when you're upset, or you know, uh, do some exercise, or um, read a book, and that doesn't work for you, that's completely fine because you have to find things that will make you you know, reach for them in times of distress and not out of just obligation, knowing that it's going to be something that'll help emotionally regulate you. Um, The other thing was trust in self and others. And that's going to be built over time, especially if you have a history of trauma, if there's a a history of really bad, toxic relationships, there's a history of um, abandonment. Trusting in yourself and others will not come easy because then you have to, you know, battle the entire vulnerability um hill that comes up where it's like i can't be vulnerable because it doesn't feel safe and that's a lot of like interpersonal work and finding strength in yourself to be vulnerable and being accepting of the fact that there are going to be instances where you're going to be hurt but that you're ultimately going to be okay and i think that's where the sense of uh security in the self and world really comes into and yeah and a lot of the other things are pretty uh, repetitive and redundant. So that was a brief, super brief, um, even though it's probably going to end up being um, a 30 minute long uh, podcast episode. But this is just a brief idea as to things that you can do to start developing more of a secure attachment style. And if you have a partner who it falls under the other realms, what you can do. And some of these might be like self-explanatory. You probably already heard a lot of these uh, things mentioned, but I think Focusing on what characteristics you have, you know, it's easy to put yourself in a box and be like, you know, I have uh, an anxious attachment style an avoidant uh, avoidant attachment style or an anxious avoidant attachment style. Or you might just have characteristics of a few and then you have a few traits you need to work on for your own well-being, not for just the sake of someone else. And I think that's going to be so important because when you do it for yourself, for your own sense of peace and security, you'll start to notice, strengthen um. Things or relationships starting to strengthen themselves because you're starting to put investment in it and you'll get off that roller coaster of, you know, um, anxious avoidance and really be able to take in the great moments and enjoy life. But like I've always said, um, these are just a few interventions and a few, really few helpful tidbits and hopefully you guys are able to take something out of this. But for now, I will leave you guys until the next episode of What's a Chai. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at What's a Chai Official. And I will have all the other amazing links and articles in the description below. And until then, you guys have a great one.